if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be reading down from verse 1, I believe, to verse 11. Uh, knowing me, we will jump around from verse to verse, but uh, that's going to be the uh, starting off point. Uh, let's begin reading there. It says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that loud, large cloud, by the way, is given to us in the 11th chapter. That's the list of you know, heroes of faith, champions of faith that we have there in the, uh, the book of Hebrews. He says, Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that is laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary And give up in struggling against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of the shedding of blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. And the Lord, for the Lord, disciplines the ones he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all of us receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time based on what they seemed good to them. But he does, God does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness so that those who have been trained by it. Last month, I was led to deliver a message on the subject that disturbingly is often avoided and ignored by the modern church. Uh, I did my very best to remind us all uh, of what it is, in fact, we are saved from when we say we are saved, and that is an eternity in hell. Last week, although brief and to the point, I endeavored to preach a purely simple message of the gospel shown through the lens of the, and the perspective of an Old Testament prophet called Micah. And what was that message? We are all sinners by nature. God exercises righteous and just judgment on sin and sinners. And here's the good news. And in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are all fundamental truths, facts, assurances from the Word of God. Today, as best as I can to allow God to lead and give me the words, I would like to share with you another truth that we all, all know too well. In fact, we briefly touched on this in last week's message. 
See, salvation does not equate to freedom from the struggle of sin. It is, by definition, salvation from the ultimate eternal punishment of that sin. As men and women, when we were lost and undone, children of Satan, in other words... We merrily and joyfully embraced this world and everything it had to offer us. However, now as children of God, which I hope everyone here is, we are made painfully aware and just how often we miss the mark when we are aiming to abide by God's will. So today the goal of this message is to discuss that subject. The truth from God's word. The Lord's chastening of his children. Before we go too much further, allow me to share from a message of J- Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and yet, I want to attempt to clarify a unique difference between chastisement of the believer and the punishment upon the lost. Because let's face it, sometimes when we are being chastised, when we have those woodshed moments, It it feels an awful lot like just pure old-fashioned punishment. But there's a difference. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, God's people can never, by any possibility, be punished for their sins. God has punished them already in the person of Christ. Christ, their substitute, our substitute, has endured the full penalty for all their guilt. And neither the justice nor the love of God can ever exact again that which Christ has paid. Punishment can never happen to the child of God in the judicial sense. He can never be brought before the God as his judge and charged with guilt because that guilt was no longer, uh, excuse me, that guilt was long ago transferred to the shoulders of Christ. And the punishment was exacted at the hands of his surety. But yet, while the sin cannot be punished, the Christian cannot be condemned, he can be chastised. While he shall never be arraigned before God's bar as a criminal and the punishment for his guilt. Yet he now stands in a new relationship. You, my friends, now stand in a new relationship. That of a child to his parent. And as a son, he may be chastised on the account of sin. Folly is bound up in the heart of all God's children. And the rod of the father must bring that folly out of them. It is essential to observe the distinction between punishment and chastisement. I recently had a revelation of sorts regarding my own opinion and, yes, my own acceptance when it comes to God's correction. And I made a determination in my heart that I would rather endure. I would rather endure the chastisement from my Lord that loves me, then receive the blessings from the world that hates me. Let me say that again. I would rather endure the chastisement from my Lord 
that loves me. Then enjoy the blessings from the world that hates me. Don't misunderstand me, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying in any way that those moments behind that woodshed, and some of these young, young kids, they don't understand what I mean by that. I, I, I'm old enough to remember behind the woodshed moments. I remember when my great-grandmama used to say, go out there and get me a switch. Okay? I remember those days, all right? Uh, and that usually happened behind the woodshed, guys. Uh, so I'm not saying in any way that those woodshed moments are pleasant. Uh, however, again, Hebrews 12:11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joy, joyful, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yielded the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Plain and simple truth in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. The chastisement of God isn't a pleasant experience. It isn't joyful. It doesn't necessarily feel good at the time. Nevertheless, I will declare to you again boldly, in spite of this, because of this, I would rather endure that chastisement because I know my God loves me than receive all the blessings that this world has to offer because I know this world hates me. And while both of these things are temporary, the chastising of God and the blessings of this world, and both come as a result of a lack of or a strain on the relationship with our Heavenly Father, there is a very clear difference between the two, between the chastisement of God, God's divine correction, and the blessings from this world. And no, it's not that one's painful and the other's enjoyable. One is designed to draw us closer to God. To bring us back into fellowship. While the other has been crafted to further wedge and to splinter and widen the gap between us and our Lord. And if it were even possible to completely break all communion with him. And I hope by the end of this service, if you haven't already come to a similar conclusion that I have, that something I share with you this morning, something that God leads us to talk about, will help you do so. Or at the very least, get a better grasp and an understanding of why that chastisement comes. So first, let's deal with God's love for us and the world's hatred. Because if there's any doubt in that, if you're doubting this morning that God loves you, if you this morning think that possibly the world loves you, then your foundation is weak. And when the storms come, and they will, and for many of us, the storms are raging now. Your life will be shaken. Your steps will be unsure. You will be tossed about like a ship with no sail to drive it and with no rudder to steer. God, our Lord, creator of all heaven and earth, loves you. 
How do we know that? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much he loved us. Romans 5, verses, uh, chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for great is his love, wherewith he loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. 1 John chapter 4 says, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth, truly loves, is born of God. And knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. And this world does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Verse 9. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. That he loved you. That he loved me. And sent his son to be appropriation for our sins. Herein, verse 17, is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Romans 8, 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Think about that for a minute. I am persuaded. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, the government, Democrat, Republican, whatever, nor powers, all those puppet masters behind the scenes, pulling things behind and, 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 and doing all these for all you conspiracy theorists, all those behind the scenes doing things. None of those, nor things present. The things today that are going on that you are aware of, that you see, nor things to come, that which hasn't even started yet, that which is on your doorstep, that hasn't even knocked on your door, door yet, that is coming, that nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us for the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The truth is, I could go on and on, and I could go verse after verse after verse until I'm out of breath and have no words within me. For my friends, the entire Word of God, the Bible, 
is the greatest love story ever told. And every page, every word within it, every line speaks and points us and reminds us of just how much God loves you. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes behind the, beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk of earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. If you're sure of nothing else today. Be sure of this. That God loves you. If you get nothing else from this morning's message, God loves you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you will face, God loves you. And the world does not. Matthew 24, 9 says, Then shall they deliver you up and be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. John 15, 9 says, If you were of the world, the world would love you its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. The world may say they love you, but all they know is hate. Have no doubt, the world is not your friend. If the, Lord, if the world is not your friend... Who is? John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In reaching my conclusion and establishing the mindset, that again, that I would rather endure chastisement from the Lord that loves me than receiving the blessings from this world that hates me, I reminded myself, as I do you all now, of the temporary nature of both. The chastisement of the Lord and the blessings or the so-called pleasures that this world has to offer. In Matthew 6, 19, it says, Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, or where thieves break in and steal. Everything that this world has to offer is just temporary, my friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, 
temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Give me the eternal this morning. Keep the temporary. My friends, whatever this world has to offer is here for only a short moment of time, and then it withers and it rots. Psalms 103 verse 15 says, As of man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field. So he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. And we're here for just a short period of time, guys. And even our own lives, we're just a blink, just a heartbeat away. But don't fret. Don't be disheartened. Because earlier in this exact same psalm, Psalm 103, the psalmist would say in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious. And slow, slow to anger. And plenteous is his mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. It's temporary. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Again, we're not punished as the world is punished. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like the father that pities his children, so the Lord has pity on them that fear him. We are in a new relationship. Completely new dynamic. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger endureth for a moment. I'm going to tell you, I love that boy right there. I love that young man right there as he rolls his eyes at me. He has made me spitting mad before. You've made your daddy mad too. I've made my daddy mad too. But he will always be my son. I will always be proud of him. And I will always love him. And whatever anger I have ever felt toward him at any other way, whether justified or not, it is gone. It has been forgotten. It has been removed. And there is nothing he could nothing that can say or you, you can say or do that's going to change that fact this morning. Weeping may endure for a night. Have I ever made him cry? Not since he's a grown man. Man, when he was a little boy. That whole spare the rod, spoil the child thing. I believed in that. But you know what? We weep too when God chastises us, doesn't he? Some of the worst tears, the hardest I've ever cried is when God has brought me down to my knees brokenhearted. As we preached last week, brokenhearted and a contrite spirit. It's at that point my heart opened up and I wept like I've never wept before. 
Verse, thir- verse 5 of, verse of thirty, Psalm 30 says, again, For his anger endureth for a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Here's a question. How can joy come out of enduring the chastisement of God? Well, for one, it shores up our faith in the knowledge of that new relationship and standing with God. Not as a supreme judge, lightning bolt in hand, ready to zap you, but as a loving father. I read it before, I read it again. Remember what Hebrews said there in verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If he is chastising you, then you know what? That is a blessed reminder that he still loves you. He scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastising, God dealeth with you as with sons. And what son is he that the Father has chastened not? But if you be without chastisement, then you are all bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reference. Shall we not much rather give subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10. For verily, for a few days... Chastened us. For they verily chastened us for just a few. And it's for their own pleasure. But for our profit, God chastens us that we might be partakers of His holiness. You see, I would gladly endure the chastisement from God that loves me because I know, I know. He loves me. And there is a divine purpose to his correction. In a message preached by Pastor Craig Ledbetter, he's at the uh, Bible Baptist Church over in Ireland. He asked this question, why does God do it? Why does God chastise us? What is the purpose behind it? And in his message, he gave basically four reasons. To prove he loves us, to awaken our sorrow for sin, to give you wisdom and to teach us, and finally, to produce holiness in us. So, in spite of this, do you find yourself this morning wishing for Free reign? Have you ever wished for just free reign? A life without a watchful eye of a father or God who sees all and knows all? Do you sometimes like a wild horse buck and kick? I I do. Man, I, I, yeah. After all, don't we live in a society today that seems to have completely abandoned the idea or the concept of disciplining children? And doesn't that translate into how we live our own lives? Don't discipline the children, they say. It ain't good for them. 
Listen, even the world knows that's a bad thing if you talk to the people that know. In an article I recently read, yes, I read articles. Uh, it says, what many parents who are reluctant to discipline children may not understand is how damaging it could be for a child to lack boundaries. Without discipline, children will be deficient in important life skills. According to the following, this is not coming from a Christian magazine. This is coming from a parenting magazine, psychologist. This is, this is the world acknowledging a truth. Children without discipline will, one, they will be more likely to engage in negative behaviors that are harmful and even potentially dangerous for themselves as well as others. Two, they will be unhappy. Three, they will be willful, selfish, and genuinely, 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 for the most part, unpleasant company. They will lack self-control. Five, they will not have social skills that are important for making friends, such as Empathy, patience, and knowing the basis of how to share. The sixth thing, they will not know what is appropriate behavior. And seven, they will not respect their parents or any other authority figures. Amen. They don't know empathy, they're not patient, they don't know how to share, they're selfish, they're disrespectful to parents and others, they're unhappy, they're willful, they're selfish, unpleasant, they lack any self-control, they do harmful things to themselves and others. This all sounds familiar. Second yeah. Timothy verse, chapter 3, verse 1, Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. It's God's chastisement upon us that leads us away from that. Without God's interjection of his will in our lives, setting those boundaries, leading us to know what we should and shouldn't do, even though sometimes we neglect it. Without those boundaries, we just go living all really-nilly, free reign, and that's what we have in the world today. But perhaps you think... The correction from your heavenly father is too severe. Maybe your father is a little heavy-handed. Consider this from Spurgeon. He says, May God put you in the number of his saved family. And then, if he chastens you, I ask whether you will not think of his rod light when compared with his sword 
which you should deserve to be smitten with dead. God give you, if you are chastened now, that you may be chastened and not killed, that you may be chastened with the righteous and not condemned with the wicked. You think that chastening, you think God's chastisement on us, you think, mate, a little heavy-handed, just think of what he's trying to save and protect you from. To me, choice is clear. And if given the choice this morning, I hope you would come to the same decision. Would you this morning, do you choose this morning to endure the chastisement from your Lord and God that loves you? Or would you rather embrace and for just a short moment enjoy the pleasures of this world that hates you? I hope you make the right choice this morning. Let's all stand and we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for again this day. I'm thankful for this church. And most importantly, I'm thankful for your presence here among us. I ask, Lord, that you would after this service, that you would continue to lead us. Father, Lord, I, I know I say it, and sometimes it just rolls off my mouth without even thinking about it, but Lord, please lead God and direct every step that we ha make and let it be pleasing to you. Help us in our lives be living testimonies to the world around us of what true love looks like. Let us be your hands and feet as we minister, Lord, to those that are in need around us, whether there be needs in the church or our extended families, or into our communities. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would use us. Help us, Lord, as we outreach, Lord, to those in, that are in need. Father, Lord, we have so many needs, Lord, here at the church. And once again, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I can't remember them. From, from Sister Diane, who's got loved ones who have passed, to Brad, who is struggling with kidney stones, to, 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 to Caleb, who has a, possibly a broken or, or torn, messed up ankle. Lord, there are so many needs, Lord. I can't, I don't even begin to, to start claiming, rattling them off because I, I'm afraid I would leave somebody out, Lord. But you know every life this morning, and I pray that you would touch us. And Lord, I ask, Lord, now, on my behalf, Lord, and, I, and possibly selfishly, I ask that you'll never stop chastising me. That you'll never stop correcting me. That you will continue to mold me into the man, to the husband, to the father, to the child of God that you would have me to be. And I ask the same for our church. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.